Hello and welcome back to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. And today's guest is none other than Denise Bowser, who is co-founder and commercial director at Onyx Scientific. Uh, Denise is someone I have known for a very long time. In fact, she was my second or third client at Remarketing when I founded that business back in 2009. So incredibly grateful for the kind of chance that she took on me personally. And uh, yeah, was kind of a key founding client for Remarketing and and still actually is a client today. But nevertheless, it's uh, taken me a few years to convince her to come on the podcast, but it was certainly, certainly worth the wait and uh, lots of good stuff to look forward to on today's podcast. A bit of background on Denise, uh, having been involved in the founding of Onyx Scientific in the year 2000, Denise has grown the business into a multi-million CDMO with over 100 employees that supports clients, uh, delivering their clinical programs in the pharma sector. With over 25 years uh, of experience working with clients globally, Denise has built a successful business uh, built on relationships and trust and I can absolutely second that and uh, outside of work Denise plays golf in her spare time with a handicap of 16 as an active member of her kind of local club playing competitively for the team and loves getting out to nature and more, most very recently discovered kind of cold dipping and going on road trips in her camper van and I can firsthand tell you her camper van is amazing because my kids always want to go see Auntie Denise to stay <laughs> in her camper van. So I really hope you enjoy today's show. If you like the episode, uh, please give us a kind rating. We'll see more and more ratings on the app stores. So thanks so much. And it takes two seconds if you just go on there and give us five stars and maybe leave a nice comment. But beyond everything else, please enjoy this episode. Denise, one of my favorite people in the entire world. Welcome to Molecule to Market. So good to be here, Raman. I mean, it's it's only taken me like four years to get you <laughs> on the podcast. For our for our listeners, um, I think when I first started the podcast, Denise was one of the first people I asked. But um, you know, for various reasons, it wasn't the right time, or um, you know, you just wanted to wait for the right moment. But I'm so glad you're finally here, and that we kind of get to tell your story to our listeners. So, Denise, let's give the listeners a bit of the backstory about you and your career, like how you got in to pharma and also I know you know having known you so much so well for so many years like even some of the kind of backstory of your family and with your brothers and how you ended up kind of going down a, a scientific avenue in your career. Yeah I guess I never really set out to be a commercial director um, being part of a leadership team and running a company I think that's fair to say as as um, as you know I, I grew up I've always loved sports I was always frustrated by the equality that I had in my kind of childhood um, stereotype that girls did certain subjects and sports and boys did theirs. Um, I thought he loved home economics, Denise, that's what I <laughs> Not quite, but we'll come on to that. I, I have found a love for food now but and cooking, but it was, never a, it was never something that I wanted to do as a child. I always wanted to be out on the football pitch playing with my brothers and um, I always felt a sense of injustice really. Um, so I guess I, I fought against that and um, that was one of the reasons why 
I progressed down into a scientific career because I thought, um, let's do something that girls don't normally do and really um, push push the, the boundaries and see see where I end up. So that's what happened, really. And when you say let's do something girls don't normally do, and like if you reflect back on when you did your degree, and w- was it dominated by men at the time, like on, on your course, or were, or were you starting to see more females taking interest in a kind of scientific route back, back then? There was, I started to see more females when I went to university. I did chemistry, and there were there were plenty of females and uh, doing the subject. I think it was before that, really, when I was at school, um, the girls did home economics and the, the boys did woodwork and metalwork. And I think there was one defining moment, really, when I was sitting in a classroom um, and the, the home economics teacher stood up and said, um, okay, so um, there's an opportunity if anybody wants to to go and join the boys to do woodwork and metalwork. Obviously, you're going to give up home economics. And I thought, oh, crikey, uh, th- this is the chance I've been waiting for. So I didn't kind of speak to anybody around me. I just gathered all my stuff up, put it in my bag, left the classroom and walked down and joined the boys and did uh, woodwork and metalwork. And um, I didn't think much of it at the time, but I think looking back, it was quite a defining moment that really kind of shaped my uh, direction since then. And I loved it. And I, I just, um, I-, I enjoyed kind of following my own um, decision-making and doing my own thing. So I think as a result of that, I ended up thinking, well, I don't want to do a stereotypical subject. Um, So I ended up doing chemistry and went went off to university and and took that path. Love that. And so let's let's fast forward a few years and then you you come out of university. Talk us through your early phases, your, your career, I suppose, up until the point where you were part of the founding team at Onyx. Yeah, so doing a chemistry degree, um, I did get a, a job as a development chemist and I did enjoy it. I took processes from the lab to the plant, scaling up and kind of got an understanding of what was required. But fairly early on, I realised that I probably wasn't as technically gifted as the role required. And um, the company uh, started a new um group within within the company to, to do product management, which was a facilitating role of communication really between what was going on in the plant um, and um, telling the customers what was going on. So in that sense, I jumped at that opportunity and I felt far more comfortable working with clients, facilitating, facilitating information and reacting to their needs. So very quickly, early on in my career, I realized that um, whilst I enjoyed chemistry as a career path to stay in the technical role, it wasn't for me. And so therefore took the opportunity that was given me to move into a more commercial role. Great. And what what were some of the, and the reason I'm asking this question is there's a lot of people that will be listening to the podcast that are find themselves in technical roles and might kind of hold the desire to, you know, go into the business development team or be customer facing and, and do something more commercial. What what did you find were the biggest challenges in terms of going from, I suppose, the lab environment to a customer facing environment? Did it come naturally to you or did you did you really have to work on anything? 
I think um, because I like working with people, communication, um, I think it came quite naturally to me. I think I just felt relieved really to be kind of away from the pressures of the highly technical nature. But I think it was important to have a background in science because you have to be able to follow the conversation and keep up and you can quickly make a fool of yourself if you don't understand the subject. So I think for me, I found my niche in the sense that I could follow the conversations, understand what the clients wanted, but use my strengths in um, working with people and communicating to to make a, a better go of my career. Yeah. And let's talk through Onyx then. So you were part, from memory, you were part of the founding kind of team at Onyx Scientific. So Talk us through the how that came about, and I suppose the the founding story of Onyx, which is obviously where you've spent the kind of bulk of your career to date. Um, you know, if you, if you rewind back right to the start of the business, was it? Did it feel very scary setting up with your colleagues? Was it exciting? What was the kind of? I suppose take us to that those early phases and what 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 it all felt like. Yeah, I was sitting one day at work and um, I worked for a large uh, scale manufacturing organisation and the actual founding team had, had all been members there and they'd been working on setting up Onyx for um, a number of months, um, all very uh, good chemists, um, very technically gifted and uh, they approached me really at the 11th hour to um, do business development. I guess it's um, it, it, it's fantastic to have uh, good scientists, but without getting the message out into the world, it's very difficult to get a company off the ground. So they approached me and I looked at the opportunity and I just jumped at the chance, really. I think at the time I was excited. Um, that it was It was low risk for me, really, in the sense that I didn't have... Um, a big mortgage. I didn't have a family to look after, so it just seemed like such a uh, an amazing opportunity. So yeah, I jumped at the chance and I, I took the opportunity to ask if I could become part of the founding team, which they very generously let me do. And yeah, twenty four years down the line, I'm still there, and I've grown grown the business and been there through the ups and the downs, really. So. Um, yeah, it was it was one of excitement at the time. Let's talk through the ups and downs, and in, and if we think about this in terms of almost different chapters in in the kind of Onyx scientific story. So uh, obviously the the business uh, was acquired, I think from memory, kind of early to, in the maybe 2012 time ish, but I might have got that date wrong. But I suppose before that acquisition came about by Ipka in in India what, what were the first I suppose 10 years or so like in terms of getting that business going getting some traction and and you obviously although I had a technical background I'm guessing you were driving the customer facing business development side of things back in the early days yeah that's right so we started the business literally with one contract um it was for uh, building blocks for Sigma Aldridge, so it was um, it was relatively small. The building was a shell, and we we started building the laboratories. And re- realistically, um, we built a lab. I went out to the marketplace to try and kind of get the message out there. 
and we we gradually just started getting traction within the industry. Um, we'd do a job at a time, and then we'd put everything back into the company. And as we as we kind of did more work, we built more labs and hired more people. So literally, we started with seven people um, back in two thousand, and and just grew organically, really. Um, and I think that that's given us a really good basis for the future. It's set the foundation and it's set our culture and our um, ethos in terms of moving forward. And I'm trying to remember, I think we met probably in 2011, 2012-ish. And up to that point, was with the, the founding partners effectively just reinvesting and self-investing in the business? Because obviously, you know, Investing in lab space and all the equipment and obviously all the staff takes takes finance, but I'm guessing you guys were reinvesting everything in and, and kind of believing in what you were creating. Because I, I suppose how was how was that time of of doing all that? Was it? I'm sure it wasn't all smooth sailing, but you were you all aligned as partners in terms of the growth of the business. Yeah, we were all aligned. We we set the business out to um, to grow. We. We took more space on than we initially needed, and um, the council were generous with us in terms of supporting us as a business. We ploughed everything back in, and um, everything that we um, everything was reinvested into the labs and the equipment. Um, it, it's quite a big uh, barrier to setting up a company like that because the equipment is very expensive and. Without the right equipment, you can't offer the right services. So I remember, you know, not having an LC mass spec in the early days and that that um, presented difficulties. So it was a case of trying to invest and get all of the equipment necessary to do the projects as as quickly as possible. Um, you know, we, we had to protect the business. Cash was always king, as they say. And um, yeah, I think... Um, it was. It did have its ups and downs, but I think because of the relationships that we built within our clients, we we stayed with clients for many many years, and and some of our clients are still with us from two thousand and one. So that's a testament, really, to um to the to the work that we did for them and the re- relationships that we developed. I'm I'm going to come back to that kind of. Um long-term client relationship stuff because i think that's that's an area that's definitely differentiated onyx in the marketplace and the reputation that you guys have built but before we do that i suppose for some of our listeners that haven't even heard of onyx scientific or haven't come across i suppose give give our listener a bit of an overview of the kind of typical capabilities either back then in the first kind of 10 to 12 years or so or you know i suppose and how that's developed over time you know what a what are typical projects that you do for clients? What are the typical capabilities that you guys um, deliver on behalf of customers? Yeah, it's interesting because when we started the company, um, the types of projects that we got were mainly building blocks. So we didn't get a lot of information around the project. Uh, so we would make the compound. We we set out the company always to be GMP manufacturing. So I think that was important in terms of the procedures and the culture it's, I think it's difficult to bolt on GMP several years after you've started. So I think, I think we had a vision and we always stuck to that. So the, the company's morphed a lot and has changed um, since the start, as you would imagine. Um, 
We offer CMC uh, services, so we cover the whole uh, gambit of chemistry under the CMC section. Um, I think our our motto really says it all. Your molecule, our people, it's good chemistry. So I think we we recognize how important a molecule is to a client. Often our clients are small, medium-sized pharma companies, so similar size to us, and I think that helps in the relationship. We appreciate that it's often a single asset and incredibly important to them. So by combining our people with their molecule, it's good chemistry. You know, it just works. And um, and I think um, moving forward, we've always got to keep that at the heart of everything we do. No, I love that. That's really good. And, 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 and the business, I suppose, has grown substantially as well in the last uh, few years. And remind me, uh, you've got 100 plus staff now from, from memory and um and you're still very much you know rooted in the northeast of England albeit there are other kind of connections within Ipka who we'll come to in a minute yeah we're really proud to be in the northeast and uh, growing the company from the original south seven founding members up to the over 100 staff now it's um it gives me a lot of pride really um and yeah I, I love my I love my area um and I am very wedded to the northeast as as I as am I, although I tend to disappear every few years and then and then, <laughs> then come back <laughs> and see you and uh, and I'm gonna I'm, we'll we'll go on to talk about uh, some other things in a, in a minute. But I suppose uh, you know in 2011 you uh, were acquired by uh, Ipka, who are a, an Indian based large Indian based business, and almost almost kind of at the halfway point of the journey so far. So. Talk us through what that experience was like where, you know, you were, you became part of a, of a bigger, I suppose, entity, if that makes, you know, if that, if that kind of fits the, the kind of picture. But from, I suppose, from an objective perspective, Ipka seemed to have let Onyx just thrive in their own right. You know, they haven't completely changed the company or their name or anything like that. They've allowed them to, allowed you guys to kind of do what you do. Is that a fair kind of assessment, I suppose, objectively, that they've they acquired a great business and they've let that great business just continue to grow and invest and, and do what it does? Yeah, I think that was a great strength in the relationship in terms that they didn't try and change us and they let us grow. I think if we go back a little bit before that, um, we were acquired in uh, 2011. And prior to that, we'd gone through um, the recession as everybody did, and it was fairly rough. So, you know, we felt um, quite vulnerable as a standalone company. We um, had to downsize through the recession. Um, we had to protect the business, and we we kept to our core principles and really um, rode the storm. Um, we we came out of the recession, and we. Um, came under the radar of Ipka, who were looking for a contract uh, service uh, company. So we we met with them initially and um, they, they did due diligence on the company and they liked what they saw. We were their first acquisition outside of India. So for them, it was quite a, a, a proud moment for them in terms of um, buying a company of our of our location 
And and realistically, um, it gave us strength in the sense that we could push on with the growth of the company without having to worry about such a short-term situation as we had done in the past. So it, it allowed us to really focus on what we did best and 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 grow uh, to the to the point that we've done today. That's that's really meant that we've um, moved the services slightly. We've expanded them. We've we've um, we now offer commercial API manufacturing, and and that was a that was a big kind of area to take on for us. But it gives us better long term future in terms of being able to offer more for our clients. You're listening to Molecule to Market where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. It's it's really interesting. I mean, obviously, I was very early on in my journey at Remarketing when when this all happened. And, you know, I was very grateful that, I'm very grateful for you personally that you took a chance of me back in the early days. And it was my first, I remember getting the call from you telling me, we're, we're about to be bought and you know back then I didn't have a clue what what that went you know M&A wasn't huge back back then in the sector like it is now and particularly this idea that this Indian company was going to buy you and what was that going to mean for the the name and the company and the culture and all that kind of stuff but it's funny you know if I reflect back over the last 10-12 years of successful and failed acquisitions in the contract services space. I think it's a really interesting case study for an acquisition, a first acquisition for from a company and then not meddling too much. You know, I remember back in the day, they didn't try and change who you were and what you did. There was an obvious fit with with what you did uh, kind of with the, with the team in India and how they could scale up using the sites and facilities there. But, um, you know, it doesn't surprise me that Onyx has continued to thrive and grow as a consequence of that acquisition. So, and, I, and you know, who knows? Maybe that was by design. Maybe it was by luck, right? Maybe they they wanted to kind of roll you into Ipka, and that just didn't happen for whatever reason. But I think on the whole, it's been one of the more successful acquisitions that I've certainly seen in the sector in terms of not just kind of rolling them up into the into the big ship. So, um, so yeah, I think you know, congratulations to you and the team for for continuing to grow. And you you said something really interesting earlier on, which I, that I said I'd come back to, which was about those kind of customer relationships. And that's definitely something that if I if I look at your strength and your you know the strength that you bring as a commercial director, you somehow manage to build relationships with uh, pharma companies that have lasted, you know, two two decades. How, you know, and I know there's going to be people listening saying, how the heck have they done what churning through clients or whatever? What? And I'm not asking you to give away the secret sauce, so to speak, but what is it What is it about Onyx Scientific and the way that you guys conduct yourself, the way you do business? Like, how have you managed to retain good client relationships? And also, I know, I know from memory of relationships that have either ended because... The, the, a molecule has failed and you know it's just the natural transition but w- those people always seem to come back to onyx which i also think is really fascinating so what is it what is it about you guys that makes you so special i don't think there's any secrets 
I think it's I think it's a case of being honest and being open and it's it's just really good old fashioned values. Um sometimes we we turn a job down because it's not in our core strength. Sometimes we lose a job because we give a realistic timeline of when we think the project can be delivered and and that's um that that doesn't suit the the requirements of the client. Um but we'd prefer to be realistic. And, and not overly aggressive. And, you know, chemistry is a difficult subject. So there are always challenges within a project. And I think it's how you react when something goes wrong that really shows how you stand out. Um, we, we're flexible. We allow for um, flexibility within the project. Um, and we, we just roll with the punches and we, we try and keep the end goal in sight. And, Sometimes it takes us a little longer to get there, but um, the key thing is is delivery at the end of the day, so that the clients get something that they can that they can use. Um, so yeah, it's not complicated. We keep things very very straightforward, and and we just try and think of the clients and the fact that their asset is so precious to them, and it's precious to us as well. And I think if we've got that respect for um, the project, then. You know, it all it all works out in the end, and um, yeah, we're there for the next one if that project fails in tox. So it's a it's a case of um, really sticking to your to your principles and um, looking after your clients as though the project was yours. Yeah, I love that. I love that, and I wanted to underline what you said around <clears throat> that point around kind of effectively not over promising. You know, if if I, you know, I've I see this across the sector where typically business development teams are trying to get a a deal done, and they'll they'll you know I suppose promise that a a project will be delivered within say six weeks or whatever, and in reality it's going to take three months. And I think what you said there is that sense of just uh, transparency and openness of saying to a client, saying, "Look, we we could say six weeks, but we're telling you it's going to take months because we've done this a million times." And I think that's that sense of honesty is definitely definitely a key part of what you guys do. So I think great advice there for anyone listening and, and working in a role like that. You know, it's uh, that kind of transparency is such a powerful piece in the uh, in the in the kind of client relationship piece there. And I suppose if we look at the the growth of your clients and and in relationships, like what I suppose what's what does the future hold for Onyx Scientific longer term? You know, it, will the continue conti- will the company continue to grow? I know you, you know, I don't know if you're able to share. You have a Ipka has an asset in North America as well that you guys partner with. It'd be good to talk about that as well because I think it's quite an interesting kind of business model that Ipka have have developed. Yeah, we we acquired uh, Pisca Laboratories um, in North Carolina, and they offer uh, pilot plant. Um, capability so we can personally transfer projects from the small scale through to the large scale at Pisca um, so in in that sense we can we can stay with the clients um, further down their journey um, I think the other aspect is um, getting the MHRA um, authorization with our commercial APIs 
So that really gives our clients um, an opportunity when they've got a low volume compound to be able to make the compound commercially in a company that really cares for the project. Um, I think we really offer a niche in that in that space because um, most CDMOs um, that are commercially manufacturing APIs have huge facilities. So if you've only got a few kilos a year requirement, it's difficult to find a company that can um, satisfy those needs. And for, for us, those projects are incredibly important for us. They give us uh, stability, pipeline, and um, that was a big milestone for the company, being able to um, get that commercial API manufacturing authorization. So I think that's the way forward for, for Onyx in the sense that we mix the from the phase one right through to commercial API if the if the volumes um, suit. That's great. That's great. And it seems to be an exciting time for, for the business and... And then I'm going to take a very, very sharp left turn now, and uh, to give our to give our uh, listener some context to this before we go into it. So, uh, back in December, around uh, the Christmas holidays, I was back in, in Newcastle, in the northeast of England. My wife and I met Denise uh, with the kids, I think, or one of the match kids with uh, with you know, or near Denise's house. We were just catching up, and you know, I went for coffee and breakfast together, and you know, you. You have been, you've talked to me about some of the challenges that you have been through in terms of dealing with the menopause and, um, and we were, we were walking along the street and we were talking about it as friends do and sharing how difficult it has been. And I was asking you about how, how have you dealt with it and what's the challenges been like at work? And when we knew you were going to come on the podcast, I did, uh, you know, for our listener, I did speak to Denise about asking about this because I think it is quite a taboo area that's not particularly talked about but actually many female leaders that I know have been or are going through the menopause and then dealing with the various symptoms that are you know go that are, you know different symptoms for different people so you kindly and courageously kind of agreed to talk about this because I think it's uh it's a it's a really brave thing to talk about but I think something that needs to kind of come out a little bit more so I suppose if you don't mind talking us through your experience of going through this particular phase of life and also, I suppose, how it's impacted you in a as a commercial director in a CRO business, because many of our <laughs> many of our listeners, uh, you know, whether female listeners that are, you know, will go through this or male listeners that have female counterparts that are going through this, I think there's great insight that could be gained by someone talking about the subject. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at first I didn't want anybody to know about it and um, I almost went to work and kind of told about closest colleagues and asked them to keep my confidentiality. And I was thinking, well, actually, how, how am I going to function if, if nobody knows? Um, so I took the decision really to speak with um, more of my colleagues on an individual basis and explain what was going on. And, and the reaction I got was, well, how can I help you, you know? And I think the thing with menopause is there are many different symptoms. For me, I remember coming back from a holiday. Um, I then drove down to Cornwall to um, attend my brother's wedding, came back. So obviously I'd had quite a busy period of travel. 
and I, I just felt like I'd been hit by a bus, really. I was exhausted. Um, I had brain fog. So it was a real kind of shock to the system. And, and I think by explaining this to colleagues that, you know, sometimes I do feel um, tired or I do forget things and, you know, so send me an email, don't just ask me to do something in a corridor so it's down on paper. You know, noise is a big thing for me. So um, people chattering around my desk I was struggling with. So once I explained all of this, they could really adapt and um, and help me. So, you know, take people off into meeting rooms rather than chat near my desk. And, and I think um, by sharing and by being open, people are willing and are, are happy to be supportive. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd encourage everybody out there really to, um, to chat to their colleagues and just explain what's going on because many of the symptoms are different, you know. I, I don't suffer from hot flushes, for example, but... Um, Many people do. So, you know, the temperature in the offices, the windows, et cetera, et cetera. So I would just ex um, encourage everybody to be as open as possible. And well, thanks for that. And I think you've definitely given, I think, some of our female listeners that perspective of how to go about openly dealing with them. And I appreciate it. some people just won't want to because it's a very private and personal manner. But I think your your experience has been kind of by sharing it has helped other people kind of empathize with with what you're going through like what was i suppose what was the reaction so if i'm if i almost put myself in the shoes of like a male i mean this is it's actually you know uh, emma banks our ceo at remarketing has been very vocal about her challenges in going through the menopause and i encourage everyone to look at the content and blogs that she's written about this and i think as a colleague I think understand like understanding is the kind of first step of being empathetic and actually being a good a good human. So I suppose how have you found people have responded to to that? Like, did you see? I can imagine one reaction being, "Oh my god!" Like, I don't want to talk about this because I don't know anything about this. Or actually, have you found people being very uh, receptive and actually very like um, like they're modifying their behaviours because they're aware of what you're going through. Yeah, I mean, I work in quite a male environment, so, you know, most of the colleagues I spoke to were males and um, they were really understanding and a lot of them said, well, my partner's going through exactly the same thing. I know I know what you're going through and um, th there was a lot of empathy there and, and just consideration for, for what, I'd, what I'd said, what, how it was affecting me, um, you know, and, and, I, and I just think, um, I was probably quite naive going into into it. I didn't really know what was going to happen because um, it wasn't a subject that was discussed widely. And I think it needs to get out there and, and be discussed in a far more open forum. Um, and then for, for people who haven't experienced it or are coming up to that, then at least they can be a little bit more aware and ready to deal with it at the time. Um, you know, I remember sitting in a meeting in 2012 and bearing in mind, we've sat through hundreds of meetings with clients and being presented with what the application is going to be and how this is going to be the next big blockbuster drug. And I was sitting one day and um, the, the client said, well, this application is for hot flushes. And I was like, oh, it piqued my interest because um, at the time I'd just turned 40 and I thought, well, this drug 
if it makes it, it'll be around in 10 years' time, and that'll just be perfect timing for me. But lo and behold, we were watching the news a couple of months ago, and um, obviously menopause is getting far more um, openness within the media. And a, a drug had actually made the market um, for hot flushes. And um, we often don't know if anything's been successful because often it's left on ex um, when it starts to be scaled up. And the codes change. So we, we operate on codes and then they get the commercial names. So we looked up this, this drug um, that had made the news. And yes, in fact, it was the drug that I'd sat in the meeting in 2012 and we'd worked on it and uh, carried out the development and we made the first GMP batch for phase one clinical trial. And it just made me very proud really that um, we had influenced um, drug development and yeah, I, I, I don't need it yet. I might do in the future, but yeah, it was, it was a, it was a really good moment that um, to have that flashback to that to that meeting and actually remembering that I had thought this is just going to be perfectly timed for me. <laughs> I absolutely love that, and what what a great story that is. And I think for for all of us that work in this sector, you know, many of us are in the early phase work where you know, like yourself, Denise, you're involved in kind of small batches and early phase phase one batches, and then you know. The product disappears into into the ether, whether it you know gets shelved or it ends up being commercialised. And what a what a fantastic story that that's kind of come all the way back round. And it just shows you the time, right? You know, more than ten years to get that thing to market. And I'm sure it's had its ups and downs, and uh, and how relevant for <laughs> where you are in life. So, well, listen, I, I want to just yeah, I suppose express my gratitude for 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 being brave and just talking about that subject because it is the first time. Uh, any of our guests have openly talked about the challenges of of menopause, and actually, in such a in such a, I suppose, an open manner that people can gain an understanding from and just be more aware of in their own work environment. So, thank thank you for that. And I suppose we've got a few minutes left. And normally at this part point of the podcast, we we talk about trends and what's happening in the sector. But I suppose where I'd like to focus the attention is something you said earlier about. You know, prior to the acquisition by Ipke, you you said that obviously Onyx had been through the recession of around two thousand and eight, which was a really difficult time for the company. Now, you know, fast forward, you know, fourteen fifteen years, twenty twenty three has been a really tough year for a lot of companies in in the space. Um, you know, that's been very well documented in the media, but also on on this podcast for for various reasons. It's been a it's been a hard time. So I suppose for anyone, well, for many of our listeners that have had a tough 2023 and are feeling optimistic about 2024, what I suppose, what lessons can you share from what happened in 2008 and how you dealt with that, uh, I suppose, situation in terms of dealing with a downturn and a recession and how to navigate your way out of that, uh, you know, and, and kind of thrive like, like Onyx has? Yeah, I mean, if I take myself back to, to that time period, we just invested in solid state and um, it was a huge investment for us. And, um, you know, at the time we'd outlaid um, a lot of uh, cash into that area and we're like, oh, have we done the right thing? But I think I think diversification and um, was a good thing at the time, looking back, vertically adding to the services. 
Um, so, so I would still encourage um, diversification. But I, I think I think the main thing really is um, really stick to the the core strengths as well. I remember in 2012, just after we acquired, we we experienced a double dip and um, we were struggling again. And I remember thinking, oh, the new owners will be thinking we don't care. We've taken our foot off the gas and. It couldn't have been further from the truth, really. And I reached out to them with my concerns and they flew from India and they presented to the whole company. And the key message um, I remember, I remember as if it was yesterday, they just stood up and said, look, with the work that you have, do the best job you can and and go back to work. And um, all you can, all, I, all we can ask of you is to do the best job you can and and business is up and down and you just have to stay strong when it gets tough and and just keep kind of those um that ethos in mind of really caring for caring for the projects and um and and working through um you know we we've always been quite lean so everybody has their role to play got a clear idea of what what they're doing and and that that results in maximum productivity so you can't carry huge amounts of resource within a business so it's a balance between um staying lean and and being able to um to offer the clients what they need um so yeah it's 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 a case of um sticking to your core strengths and doing a good job really some great i suppose advice to i suppose end the conversation actually Denise. i think that point around diversification and you know investing in your core competence and caring for your customers and staying lean you know like really really timeless but very (laughs) very relevant advice for a lot of businesses in the sector right now on the on the contract services side denise you know i adore you and you are one of my best friends in the whole world and uh, i wish we could have done this having a couple of beers together or having some uh, that nice fish that we had uh, at the beach before I moved to Toronto um but honestly I'm I'm so grateful that I'm so grateful for you actually first and foremost that you gave me a shot and back in 2010 2011 before many people did and uh, you know you've also you know been a, a great friend over the years as well and I'm so grateful that you have finally come on to the podcast because <laughs> I've been annoying you about it for the last uh, for you so thank you so much no it's been a pleasure Raman and um, yeah I'm sorry it's taken so long I just had to get my confidence up you know um, I value our friendship dearly and I think I think that's what it's all about really is is really building relationships and valuing friendship and um, you'll always have a place in my heart here here so there you have it that was the delightful Denise Bowser who is a co-founder and commercial director at Onyx Scientific. What a what a great guest, as I expected, covering so, so many different topics for you guys to kind of get your teeth into today. I think for me, as I reflect back on the conversation, I think it was, it was interesting to hear how early on in her career, she was asked to come and get Onyx Scientific off the ground and that kind of switch from technical to commercial, which we hear a lot on the podcast and it seemed to come very very natural for Denise given her ability to just connect with customers and and uh, I suppose just be a, a good person um I I thought the M&A piece with respect to IPCA 
and the way they have let Onyx kind of get on with things is really interesting. I think there's definitely lessons there for companies uh, acquiring or being acquired in the space at the minute because, you know, I think for all the world in the world, you can often try and integrate a business and make it part of your culture. And that's very much the playbook for, for lots of companies, but there's also value in just letting a company do what it does and just serve it as client. And that's exactly what Ipka seemed to have done with Onyx. And that's worked out pretty well as demonstrated by the growth. I think one thing about Denise is her kind of no-nonsense, simple way of looking at doing business. And I think that was demonstrated on several occasions during the podcast today. Like, you know, just a very, very kind of transparent approach to customer care and being good at what you do, being good at communications, like doing the basics really, really well, which, you know, if you look at any top athletes in the world, that's what often they say. They just do the basics consistently well over time. And I look at what Denise does and what Onyx have achieved. And I think that's definitely been part of the secret sauce in the growth of that business. And it's, I suppose, sustainability over, over 20 years, which is fantastic. Um, and, you know, it was interesting what she said also about kind of the, the importance of, I suppose, doubling down on core competence, but always having one eye on diversification to, to explore other areas, which again, that they've done. And I suppose it would be amiss of me not to mention the conversation that Denise bravely decided to talk about today, which is the challenges uh, that she's felt personally going through the menopause. And I think it's incredibly refreshing for a guest to come on and be so open about it. And I think for any of you guys out there that are in a work environment where you have a uh, female counterpart going through that or just maybe maybe not being themselves i think even that is probably uh, a useful insight into kind of just being aware of that and having a sense of empathy and understanding and i think you know for many of the female listeners that are listening you know whether they're at that phase or earlier or past it i think you'll certainly agree that it was excellent to have someone being so honest and just kind of talk about it. So I certainly encourage that you reach out to Denise. She is a truly lovely person and uh, yeah, clearly a fantastic guest to have on the show as well. As always, thanks to my team for pulling today's podcast together. You guys rock. Thank you very much uh, for doing that. Uh, if you like today's episode, please give us a uh, share it with a colleague or give us a like on the, uh, on the app and uh, yeah, be on that. See you soon. Hi again. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. Really hope you enjoyed the episode. For more shows, have a look on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon, wherever you like to listen. And do make sure that you subscribe so the next episode comes direct to your device automatically. And please get in touch via our website, uh, Molecule to Market Pod, or via LinkedIn or Twitter. We love to hear from you. So if you have a guest that you want to suggest or someone in your organization that you think would make a great guest on Molecule to Market, then please let us know. We'll see you very soon. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile and generate leads in life sciences.